Hello, everyone. I am Brandon K. Hedgepeth, and I want to welcome you all here to the Tansen Talk Show. I'm so glad to have you all here today for this episode. And so I'm going to go ahead and start off this episode by introducing my guest today, Glenn Dano. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you. And so first of all, how are you doing here today? Uh, I'm good. I'm, it's one of my, you know, few days off during the week. So I'm, I'm just here with my dog. Oh, where'd she go? Oh, she's somewhere. <laughs> well, that is you good to hear. Yeah, I'm doing well. Yeah, this has been a, you know, a great day thus far and an enjoyable week. And I'm so excited to speak with you again. Yeah, yeah. Should, uh, we should let the viewers know how we met. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'll allow for you to do that. Um, yeah, just momentarily. And actually, are you able to also introduce yourself for the watching and listening audience here today? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Glenn Dano. I am a uh, graduate student at Old Dominion University. I am currently in the process of completing my master's degree uh, in history. And uh, my focus on that is uh, related to the Civil War tangentially. Well, that is so great to hear, and I'm just so excited to get into this conversation. And so, since you mentioned it, are you actually able to fill in the audience as to how exactly we met? Right. So, um, we met at the, I think it was like a TA prep course before the semester started, uh, where basically we just had to go in and show to the uh, staff there that we can present in front of people. Um, but there was this whole like 20 minute process before everything started. So I didn't know anybody there and uh, they were serving free food. And then I sat down and uh, Brandon was on his laptop. So I was like, I'm going to harass this person. And uh, <laughs> what really happened was I, I just started making small talk. And then uh, I guess because I don't think you knew anyone there either. Uh, we ended up just sitting next to each other until we had to be separated into our groups to present. Uh, but he mentioned uh, his, or you mentioned uh, the podcast uh, that day and asked if I wanted to show up. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a nobody. Um, <laughs> but uh, sure enough, I said yes. And uh, we've been texting throughout the semester. Yeah. And it's been so great, like keeping up with you and hearing everything that, you know, that you've been doing. And so I've been quite excited about this, you know, all semester. And so I'm glad, you know, now that the semester's over, we're able to chat here today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Me too. Yeah. And so... So first of all, since you are, you know, focusing in on history for your uh, master's degree, so first of all, how is the progress going for your master's degree as of the time of recording? Uh, it's going really well. Uh, I actually had plans at the beginning of the semester to possibly end this semester. Um, I'm unlike some other students, I'm not doing a thesis for, to, for my end of degree stuff. Uh, they have this new like portfolio option. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, when I first heard of it, I was like, this seems easier. It doesn't, it's not actually that easy. <laughs> but um, basically what they're having me do is uh, they have a number of different options that you can select uh, to make like a portfolio. So it looks good, like when you're applying for jobs. Uh, and the two that I did were um, uh, a class, like a level one, a 100 level course that I would design and I would have to present it in front of my committee, uh, and basically get the approval of it, like, uh, in a in-person interview and like after they've scanned through the whole thing and questioned me. Uh, and then the other half of the portfolio, I want the like more standard, like just a physical examination thing, uh, where I get, you know, two, two big questions. I have like two days to write like two 10 page papers. Um, but uh, during the semester, I uh, I kind of got overwhelmed by my uh, my reading list, so I didn't end up uh, completing it. Um, but my committee was super supportive. They were like, "Hey, this actually happens a lot more than you'd think, so uh, we can keep in contact throughout the summer and the fall, um, and you can complete it then." Um, so hopefully, uh, I can get that done by then. Um, my actual study for um, my exams uh, focuses on, like I said, the Civil War prior to this. Uh, and um, it doesn't know necessarily focus on the war itself, but I'm uh, researching the experiences of uh, uh, USCT, so US colored troops, and uh, as well as like post-war, uh, the freed uh, like the freedmen in the South, as well as their relationship with the Freedmen's Bureau and the uh, white planter class and how the power dynamics uh, worked there. Um, I recently wrote a paper focusing on like manhood in the uh, 19th century and uh, what 
necessarily made a man, not only in terms of like the American perspective, but also separating this from like the white planter perspective, uh, the Freedmen's Bureau, and then the Freedmen themselves, like how they all viewed masculinity. Um, so that's kind of what I'm focusing on right now. Uh, for the class that I'm designing, designing, uh, designing, it's, uh, it is a 100 level course and I'm doing an a American survey um, after the Civil War as well. So most of my stuff is, is a little bit post-Civil War. I could just say it's Reconstruction, but <laughs> uh, Civil War, I, I think, uh, turns more heads, you know? Yeah, definitely does. But I'd actually love to hear a little bit more about your 100 level course. That sounds so interesting. Yeah, so um, my 100 level course, um, it is after the Civil War. I'm focusing on the time period after 1865 up to around 1975. So it's a little bit, uh, you know, like over 100 years, 110 years. Um, and uh, a big part of the focus in that course is to look at the experiences of uh, immigrants and the working class. Um, so I wanted to give like a better representation of uh, American citizens, like what made an American person, um, as well as looking at like the policies enacted that uh, shaped the perceptions of the like illegal immigrants or like the alien. Um, a lot of like, you know, like a uh, big like social, social history. That is so interesting. And so to backtrack a little, so what actually got you interested in yeah, in history overall, and is this, and did you also focus on history for your undergraduate education as well? So, um, it's actually really funny. I, um, as, a, as, as soon as I graduated from high school, I, uh, realized I didn't actually apply to any colleges. Um, so I was like, oh man, this is bad. Um, I worked so hard to graduate with honors because my parents really wanted me to, and then I realized I didn't apply anywhere. <laughs> um, so I started to go to TCC, um, which was, you know, it was a good experience. Um, but I was under there for like general studies because I didn't know what I wanted to do for the first couple semesters. Um, and in the general studies classes, you have to take a number of history courses as well. Uh, and of all the classes I was taking, I was doing the best in history. So, uh, my, uh, guidance counselor was like, is there anything that you that you want to focus on? And I was like, well, I'm doing pretty good in history. And, uh, so I was like, I'll just pick that. Um, and so it was a more of like an on the whim kind of choice. Um, but I've actually ended up really enjoying it since then. Um, I guess that's the difference between being like 19 and being like 20, 26. <laughs> so, um, but no, I've, uh, I, I completed my uh, associate's degree uh, in history. Then I transferred to ODU and I finished my undergraduate uh, in history as well. Uh, it, that one took a little bit longer just because uh, COVID messed up all my scheduling. And uh, I was double, well, not double majoring, but I, I also did a minor in education. So uh, I had to take a number of courses to complete that as well. Uh, but then after that finished, I, I took a little bit of a break and then I went uh, full time for my master's. And uh, I'm taking that at ODU as well. And it's been a really good experience. Uh, the community at the, in the history department is very, very uh, welcoming. Uh, the professors are super accommodating and uh, they let me clown around. So I'm, I'm just having a good time. Well, that is, yeah, good to hear that, you know, everyone's been very supportive of, you know, your academic journey thus far. And so, yeah, I guess how far into your time at TCC, Tidewater Community College, you know, did you really, I guess, fully realize that, hey, this is something I can do? Were there any other options that you could have potentially explored that you were also decent at? Or has uh, it always been history stood out? So, uh when you're doing a general general studies at TCC, you pretty much like take like high school, like not, not high school level courses, but like your general, like English, social studies, uh, science, math. Um, I was awful at science and math, uh, but uh, English and uh, history, I was, I was pretty good at. Um, there was a period of time where I was taking a lot of writing classes uh, and I was also taking a lot of art history classes. So I was feeling like I was in my, my, you know, my art, my artsy feng shui, uh, and so there was a period where I was like, maybe I can major in English. Uh, but then I, uh, I just decided that I wanted to uh, pursue history more. I guess, uh, I guess I really did enjoy it more. Um, that's not to say that I, uh, I don't enjoy English, but I, uh, I guess I, uh, I would say that I can write a historical paper. I don't know if I could write a compelling, uh, fictional story. You know what I'm saying? Makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah, like, like people always say, you can do the fiction or the nonfiction. There's not a lot of people, you know, who really like both. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I do like uh, I do like both. Um, I I actually use a lot of the stuff that I learned in history to um, 
influence uh, like my D and D campaigns that I run. Um, so it it definitely has been useful to like look through history and be like, oh, these are things that we could we could port over and kind of like reference uh, in in your fantasy worlds, you know. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I also really love, you know, for reading purposes, fiction and nonfiction. I like writing too. And yeah, I definitely want to hear more about your D&D campaigns in a moment. But but yeah, but since you mentioned that for your undergraduate degree, you had a minor in education. So are you officially certified to, you know, to be a um, teacher? Uh I'm pretty sure I am. I uh, I passed all my uh, my minors and I submitted my stuff to the VDOE and it never got rejected. So I I have to assume I am. But I'm also going to. It's been a couple of years since uh since my uh you know undergrad stuff. So I'm going to have to recheck that after I graduate with my master's just to make sure that I can like actually apply to be a teacher and all that stuff. Yeah, that yeah. If you do, because I believe that you've mentioned to me offline that. Yeah, that your overall aspirations are to be a history teacher, I believe, at the high school level. Yeah, um, I didn't realize this until, you know, I got into uh, college, but uh, a lot of my favorite teachers throughout uh, middle school and high school were all history teachers, uh, especially like the last few. Uh, I had a, uh, my AP uh, US government teacher, Miss Groves, was like a huge inspiration as to like being a teacher. And uh, when I met her, um, again, recently, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a teacher. And she was like, that makes sense. You'd, uh, you'd be able to relate to the slackers. And I was like, oh, I kind of, I kind of hurt, but I know I got, I got what she was saying. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just always enjoyed history. I'm sorry, I, I feel like I forgot the original question. Oh, good. Uh, I love the way that, <laughs> that you said that, though. But no, I was just um, mentioned, I was just asking. So I believe your, your overall aspirations are to be a teacher, I believe, at the high school level? Yes, yes. Um, in my uh, education minor, I also had to do a number of different practicums um, where I went to different schools and was a student teacher for some time. And uh, so I did uh, volunteer work at, uh, I'm not going to say the school names, but some middle schools and some high schools. And the middle schools were nice. The students were definitely nice. But I, I preferred teaching the high schoolers. Uh, my longest student teaching uh, gig was for basically what is the equivalent of like a college semester. Uh, and I taught a 12th grade class uh, in US government, which was very interesting because that was around the same time as uh, January 6th, 2021. <laughs> uh, so it was, uh, it was very, I had to be careful about how I worded things, you know, because um, I don't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to upset any parents. It was, the students were fine. It was the parents that you always have to worry about. That it was that certainly an interesting time to say the least to mm -hmm. do government. So for full, like I guess context to I guess not date myself entirely, but um, but for me I was a twelfth grader in U.S. government. This I guess the semester before that. So in fall of. I guess that would be fall of 2019. And uh, so, yeah, we had a lot of different government uh, fun examples. And it it felt like this is definitely the time to be in, like, learning government. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, for sure, I agree. Um, I, I think there's always at least, like, one or two big scandals every year that just helps government teachers be like, yes, we're relevant. Uh, so um, I was... Uh, I'm not going to say fortunate because what happened was, uh, you know, it was certainly an event um, that people have a lot of opinions on, very divided opinions. Um, but it was something that got the students talking. Um, and that was good for me because the more students talk amongst themselves while they're doing their work, the less I have to work. You know what I mean? For sure. For sure. And to backtrack on my own comments, when I said semester, I meant to say year. So, yes, I can math. I can math. <laughs> but, uh, but nevertheless, though, I mean... That's so interesting that you were able to do that. Yeah, at that time when, you know, the subject was very, you know, well, it is now still, but oh, you know, yeah, but it's very pertinent. No, yeah. Um, it's kind of uh, crazy. Like, it's been two years, two and a half years, actually, since uh, since that event happened. And still, it's still talked about, like, pretty frequently amongst, like, not even just historians, but just everyday people, you know? Um, and we're, yeah, we're halfway through the next administration where we're going to be, uh, 
you know, having the next elections coming up very soon. And that's still a conversation that happens like at least like once a week, if not like once a month, if not more, you know? Yeah, that definitely is a conversation that, yeah, is definitely quite, you know, extensive. And so, and so you mentioned that, you know, that of course was one of your favorite, um, well, your longest student teaching experiences. And so was there one experience or another that, I guess, really stood out to you or made you think, oh, I didn't realize I have to do this or, you know, or anything that really like stood out to you? Um, I think it was the first time I had to actually grade papers because in my head I was like, oh, it's easy. But then, uh, but then uh, I, I, I guess I forgot, like I didn't realize that I would have uh, more than just one class's worth of students. I would have at least two or three. Uh, so I remember the first grading period that I had, especially that was uh, in the, in the long, the longest student teaching thing. Um, because I, it was more hands-off. It was more like they just gave me a class to teach. Um, and then I had to grade like 90 papers. Uh, and, and I told the students I would get it to the next week. And I was like, oh my gosh. So uh, I spent the entire weekend grading. And then uh, that really that really opened my eyes as to like, I should do this while I'm working. You know, like uh, maybe like during a study break or, uh, you know, something, something like after school hours. Because uh, there were times like after school before before I realized that, that I was just like relaxing on the computer. Maybe like what, maybe even like watching a YouTube video or something. Um, and then I was like, okay, no, I have to take my time seriously. I have to be able to manage this. Otherwise I'll be overwhelmed and then I won't get these grades back. Um, and so that was, that was the big thing was uh, actually keeping up with my own work schedule because I, I was in charge of, you know, like 90 individual people. Um, but I eventually I got so fast and not, not so fast, but I got fast enough at grading that my students assumed I wasn't reading their papers. <laughs> um, so they would just put random stuff and, uh, and I would, I would be very per, like vexed. I would, uh, sometimes I would circle what they would say and I would just put a question mark and then be like, Oh my God, he actually reads what we're writing. That, that is so like humorous. Did they ever, Oh my gosh, that, that, that is just hilarious. And so, yeah, but I mean, at least you were able to sort of get the hang of it. But I guess it also gives you a new appreciation for teachers in the math work that they do, like beyond just the class period. No, absolutely. Um, that um, the amount of work that they do is it's, it's certainly a lot, especially considering the uh, the pay that teachers get in the U.S. Not the greatest. Um, I one experience that I thought was uh, really funny that still sticks with me to this day was uh, the students were it was near the end of the day um, and they had completed most of their work so everyone was just relaxing and uh, once once people have finished most of their work or at least most of them have finished their work uh, what I'll usually do is I'll just like I'll put on YouTube videos or whatever they want to watch as long as it's school appropriate um, but one of the things that they wanted me to do was uh, to play Tetris because they played Tetris and then I. I could see their screens and I was like, oh, I'm pretty good to Tetris. And none of the students believed me. Um, but I played and they were seemingly impressed. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to say I'm good or bad, but I, I think I'm okay. Um, but uh, while I was playing Tetris, one of them asked me and they said, uh, Mr. Dano, so like, how much do you make doing this? Cause it seems like a pretty fun gig. And uh, I had to tell them like, oh, I don't, I don't make money. And they were like, you don't, you don't make money. What do you mean? And I'm like, no, in fact, I actually paid the school <laughs> to let me work here. And, uh, and I think they all thought I was crazy after that, but um, it that whole experience really did make me appreciate uh, how much work teachers do. At least, you know, there are, not to say that all teachers are good. There are definitely some teachers who could use work who uh, maybe aren't working up to the standards that they should be. Um, but for those, like, very good teachers who really do care about their students and really do put in, like, the extra amount of work to uh, make sure that they're getting their education, that they're being paid attention to, um, I have nothing but respect for them and hopefully I'll be one of them too so that I can have respect for myself. Yeah, that that you know, the way that you put that though just really makes you fake sometimes. It's just like, huh. It's like you're not getting paid, but you know, the the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah, it really I, I didn't think too much about it until I said it and then I was like, wait a minute, I'm giving them money while I'm working for them. Oh <laughs> uh, no. It was it was a really good experience though. The school that I was at was very, very accommodating very nice. Um, the teacher who was my mentor, whose class I was basically taking over, um, super understanding of everything. He was great at giving me feedback and giving me advice. Uh, and I, I loved my time there. I'm so glad that you enjoyed your time. And so to switch gears a little bit. So you're mentioning just a little bit earlier about your, you know, your D&D dungeons and um, track and stuff. So I, I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, so I uh, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons since 2016. 
Uh, and so that was uh, around the time when Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition was still quite new. Uh, and I didn't DM for the first time when I was playing. I was uh, playing under one of my uh, Friends of the Times campaigns. Um, but then, uh, you know, I got like one taste of D&D and then it was just like sparked a fire. So I uh, I started looking online for like any like other groups in person or or online. And I found a server where people just played D&D. And um, I, made a, I made a lot of good friends there. And we've, we've had a lot of like consistent campaigns since then. Um, I've had a few... Uh, campaigns that I ran through the modules. So, so like pre, pre-generated pre uh, adventures that you can like, you know, pick and choose stuff that, you, that you'd like. And I've also had some homebrew campaigns. Um, but one of the campaigns that we have right now that my friend is running, um, it's called uh, Field Tease. Uh, and it's about uh, two warring nations where one is uh, basically like a, an, like it's an amalgamation of historical empires put into one basically. And they're, they're trying to impose uh, and colonize uh, this one other nation named Bertas, and they're just a bunch of, like, separated city-states. Um, and I noticed the name, Fealties, I noticed that they're all separated city-states, and I noticed that it's an empire uh, trying to colonize them. Uh, and I'm, and I, I, I think to myself, I'm like, wait a minute, this is Greece and Persia. And so I, I go to my DM, and I'm like, did you, did you rip off Greece and Persia? And he was like, what? So then I told him everything, and he was like, that's crazy, I didn't even think about that. Uh, so it was, uh, it was very interesting just to see, like, the historical parallels um come into this game and like it not even be intentional but then after after that i think he himself couldn't unsee it so he started like doing more research um but it was very it was very fun uh but i i i've enjoyed D. like i said i've been playing it for you know nine years at this point i um i'm looking forward to see what wizards of the coast does with their like one dnd uh system that they're coming up with which is basically an extension of fifth edition uh and uh, I've, you know, run a couple campaigns of my own. I've sp- especially run, like, many one-shots or, like, one-shot adventures with my friends at ODU um, just to, like, get, you know, get their foot in the door, and most of them seem like they enjoy it. Um, but it's just it's just a fun time because you're basically just playing make-believe with your friends, but because you're adults and you say it's D&D, it's slightly more respected than if you guys were just <laughs> making stuff up, even though that's what you're doing. That is quite amusing, and so... For anyone who may be watching and listening and is not fully familiar with the, yeah, I guess the whole, um, for people who are watching and listening who aren't fully familiar with um, Dungeons and Dragons, are you able to give, like, I guess the um, the most simple explanation as, um, as possible to sort of clue some of us in? Sure. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons is a uh, multiple-person story-driven game where you guys roll dice and do math. <laughs> That's the best I can say. Because uh, not every D&D campaign is going to involve actual combat. Not every D&D campaign is going to involve roleplay. All of them are separate and they all have their own play styles depending on who is the dungeon master or who is the game master, the person running it. Um, but it, like I said, it's a multi-person uh, storytelling adventure, basically. Okay, that's that's probably the best explanation I have heard because I have a lot of friends and uh, personal acquaintances who like are really into it, but you know, but you know, I, I don't know. I've always wanted to learn more about it, but mm-hmm. but yeah, so that's so interesting. Yeah, interesting to hear. And so you mentioned earlier that you were able to use some of your history knowledge to help you with that as well. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I mentioned previously the the fealties thing. Uh, I, I basically put into my DM's head like you're making a campaign about Greece and Persia, and so uh, he he definitely looked into that. I um, there were a lot of times where I would make like one shot adventures, and I would look at things and I'd just be like, I'm just gonna sprinkle this in because I think it'd be funny. Like I uh, I put in a. a a gang of axe wielding people just as in reference to like the axe gang. And then I put in a bunch of like monks who were having rebellions to reference the, the boxer rebellion from China. Um, just little things like that. I don't like to overly make my campaign based on like the real world because, uh, a lot of the times my friends who want to play D&D are trying to escape that real world, but I can't help when I'm interested in something that I see historically, so I'll just sprinkle it in, and whether or not they catch on to it doesn't really matter, because usually, as long as they're having fun, that's that's the only thing that matters. Well, that is, yeah, so good to hear, and so, and so yeah, it, it's interesting, yeah, to hear, like, how your different interests can tie into, 
into history and like everything that you're trying to do and work for. Mm -hmm. And so, and so overall, like, I guess I'm trying to figure out where I was going with this. Yeah. So I guess I, I really like how like a lot of your interests and everything really can tie back into history and some of your interests. And I like how you mentioned earlier that even like looking back at some of your favorite teachers throughout the years that a lot of them were, you know, history teachers. And so are there any other things that sort of note that you notice like in retrospect that really, I think would tie you back into your interests of history? Uh, sure. So, um, before we started this interview, um, you asked me like through text, like what some of my interests were. And one of them I, I mentioned was that I'm actually very much into, uh, modeling kits like, uh, Gundam modeling kits. And so I've been, uh, going back through the original Gundam series and uh watching through it and i'm like oh my god this is one this is world war ii and two <laughs> this is the civil war too uh and it's it's very interesting to go back and just see uh the parallels uh that yoshiki tomino the creator of mobile suit gundam made with uh with you know historical things especially i think as as uh, as he was somebody who lived through like wartime period uh he could definitely look back at like world war ii where uh you know japan definitely had their own mistakes that they made. Um, and I think he, he really looked at that and was like, how can I make this a war story? And, uh, you know, send in the message that war is bad. Um, and yeah, look at just like the, the concept of like the mobile suits or the giant mechs themselves was uh, always fascinating to me because they're just giant robots. Uh, but then noticing how they were like leaving like uh, giant, essentially robot carriers uh, and that they were more effective than the battleships themselves. Uh, it, it made me realize that not only was he referencing world war two, he was also referencing the change from battleships to uh, aircraft carriers uh, where, you know, jets and, uh, and, you know, flying machines became the standard instead of like having these giant armed out ships, it was better to just have, uh, you know, fighter, fighter planes because they were more effective. And then I realized, Oh, that's what the mobile suits are. They're just big humanoid fi fighter planes. Because everyone there is a pilot too, uh, which was very cool. Um, so that's something that I think is very cool. And also, I brought one out just in case you wanted to just to see. Just to see, uh, this is something I made. I think it's very cool. Thank you. That is so cool. How long did it take to make that? Out of curiosity, uh, this uh, I think I made it in about an hour and a half. Uh, they come on like separated runners, and you just have to cut them out and glue them together or snap them together. Most of the modern day. Uh, Gundam kits like these are like very highly articulated. You can move them around, and uh, and they don't usually need that much glue, if any at all. Uh, this I don't think I used any glue for any of it, uh, which was you know always a plus uh, because it means I don't have to get my hands as dirty. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And so, okay, how long did you say that you've been um, working on them? Uh, on like the Gundam kits, um, I've been collecting them for the better part of a decade now, you know, um, actually for over a decade, I think the first, uh, the first Gundam kit I bought was in 2012. Uh, so, you know, that was, yeah, over a decade ago. <laughs> uh, and it was, uh, it was a hobby that my friends were into and I really liked Gundam as an anime and like a fictional world. So I was like, oh, I might as well build one. And then I built my first one and I got hooked. So uh, if you ever go into my room, I don't have them on display everywhere, but they're, the boxes, you can't hide those. So I have a bunch of uh, Gundam boxes and uh, I have whatever I want on display at the moment. Usually I'll only, I'll only have like, you know, five or six on display comprised of the 30 kits I have, which is insane to think about because of how much money I put into that. Uh, but it's definitely a fun hobby. Um, it really helps me like de-stress because... I'm only focusing on this one thing that I'm building rather than everything that's happening on in the world at the moment. Um, so it, I, I think that's, that's more so what I appreciate it for rather than uh, just making cool action figures, you know? But that nevertheless is yeah impressive, especially to see like how much you've been able to sort of do on your own and to build and sort of, yeah, being able to see them all in your nice collection. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, uh, I've been trying to get my friends into it uh, because I don't want to be the only one addicted to uh, what is essentially plastic crack. Uh, <laughs> if I'm like, if I'm going to empty my wallet, so are you. Uh, and it's been harder. Um, I have I have a number of friends who, like I said, were already into uh, Gundam modeling. Uh, it's called Gunpla for short for Gundam Plastic. Um, but 
my my newer friends who are getting into the franchise now because of the latest Gundam series, I think they're they're very interested in the idea of modeling, but they're also intimidated by it. Uh, but Bandai, the you know creators of Gundam, um, they've come out with this new line of kits called entry grades, and they are very very easy to make model kits. Like you can probably I made one of their entry grade kits in you know thirty minutes. Uh, and you don't need any tools to make them. You can snap them out of the runners and put them together. Um, so I, I keep trying to recommend that to my friends. I bought one for one of my friends, and he enjoyed it a lot. Um, so uh, if you're, if anyone who is watching, or you, Brandon, if you're ever interested in getting into modeling, but you're a little intimidated, completely recommend the Entry Grade line by Bandai. Uh, they are also actually surprisingly very well articulated. Uh, they have a lot of good color separation. There's no little to no stickers involved usually. Um, and they are like a fun, easy gateway into uh, plastic drugs. <laughs> Not that they're actually drugs, but you know, it's a very addicting hobby. I bet. And I mean, that's so cool that you are you know, able to do that. And so like as a personal passion myself, I've been really spending the past couple of weeks and like getting back into like, oh! Lego sets and everything. And so like, like this one in particular, I've I've literally had this for maybe a year or two, mm -hmm. and I've just never had the time to like put it together. And so now that I actually have a little bit of free time this summer, um, you know, it's like I would have put them together. I think the only thing I'm trying to figure out is where do I put them all when 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 they're all yeah. built and done. That's the thing. I I also agree. It's like I don't have the shelf space for all of these things, but I want them. No, but I. Uh... No, I get you. Um, modeling uh, is uh, very similar to Legos. In fact, I would consider them like one in one because like a lot of these are just put like snap it, put them together. Uh, my girlfriend is very into Legos too, and so I got I tried to get her into uh, to Gundam modeling to Gunpla, and she enjoyed it too. But I think she's definitely you know her heart lies in the Lego. Uh, but one thing that both of them have in common is that they are uh, seemingly very expensive now. Legos are really expensive now, which is crazy because I never. Maybe maybe they were always expensive, but when I was younger, I never perceived them as expensive. So it's uh, it's wild, like looking back and like or looking looking today and like trying to buy Legos and just being like, I don't know if I can afford this, you know? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where I think when you're younger, it's like, oh, cool, I can do this and I can just get this because why not? But you know, when you start to have actual like time and responsibilities and other stuff, it's like, whoa, it's like I I don't know about this. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the time commitment, and then you're like, okay, so I could spend two or three hours making this kit, or I could spend, oh, or I could spend, uh, you know, the whole day reading this book that I'm supposed to be reading instead. Uh, and so, in the case of me building this right now, I'm I'm more so taking like a small break after the semester ends, uh, but I'm gonna get back to my reading. So, uh, to anyone who's watching this who knows me, don't worry, I'm not slacking off. I'm only slacking off. Well, I am, but just a little bit, you know, just a tad. Just a tad. Just a, it's a little end of the greed treat for me. You know, why not? Yeah. And so it's interesting to like to hear like so many different, you know, interests that you have. And so I believe I asked a little bit earlier, but I guess to go into more detail. So for, you know, for your history interests, why exactly did you decide to pick the time after the Civil War, the Reconstruction time? Um, completely honestly. Civil War history has a lot of job availabilities. So uh, focusing on like your Reconstruction or like even that like middle period between Reconstruction and the Civil War, uh, if I if I had you know any opportunities outside of teaching, um, I think that is the field that would uh, get you a lot of opportunities, especially in Virginia where we are, where the Civil War was so prevalent. Um, that's that's primarily why I chose it. Uh, it's not my favorite time in history, but it is a time in history that I do enjoy. That is so interesting to hear. And so, and so since we mentioned Virginia, are you also originally um, from this area? Yeah, yeah. I was born in Chesapeake, but I've, uh, you know, been raised and grew up in Virginia Beach. I've been here uh, since the beginning. And I, I've i traveled a bit, not, not too far out of the U.S., um, but I've traveled throughout the U.S. And honestly, um, every time I think of somewhere, you know, it's, uh, it's that, that old saying of, like, there's no place like home. I've, I've been to California. I've been to New York. I've been to Florida, I've been to, you know, Chicago, um, and Detroit, and not that, okay, I'm not, I don't want to ever trash talk a state, but uh, Detroit, Michigan, not the greatest place, <laughs> um, but Virginia Beach, uh, is, this is the city I live in, um, 
it is by far the place that I'm most comfortable in uh, and lo- probably largely due to the fact that it's where I grew up. But I can't I just can't imagine myself living in, in a big city, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And apologies for anyone who may be listening in um, in Detroit, but <laughs> I'm not apologizing. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Detroit's fine. Unless you hate Detroit and you're from Detroit, then, you know, I feel you. But <laughs> no, no disrespect to anyone from Detroit. But nevertheless, though, uh, that's it's so interesting to, I mean, I mean, to really hear about all of your, you know, all your interest and just how they have come to be and how, and how, like, you know, later in life, that's really like when it began, like, coming, it's like, oh, it's like, you know, I have maybe always had this interest, but, you know, it just takes a while for it to come to you. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of it's like a sub, like subconsciously, these are things that are tied back to these interests. Like uh, when I was a teenager, before I realized, you know, I like history, a lot of the stuff that I like to read was, uh, you know, comics and uh, manga and also like young, young uh, teen novels like Percy Jackson and the Olympians. And to see like all of these things harken back to like, not harken, but, you know, reference uh, historical events is uh, always so cool. Like, uh, you know, just Captain America as a character in general is it's he's a walking historical reference. Um, but it's yeah, I, I think it is crazy just to see back uh, and uh, look at how many things that I was interested in as a child that were influenced by history. Uh, but I, I guess you could also make that case for pretty much anything is uh, influenced by everything around them, you know. That is so true. And so out of curiosity, do you ever have times now where like you might watch some like watch a piece of media or listen to something or just even get involved in a conversation and just see all of like all the different ways that connects to history and just be like, it's like, oh, it's like this is literally like a parallel to this or this is like this or even watching some historian be like, this is nothing like how that happened. Yeah, like uh, like I mentioned, but as I'm I'm rereading through the original Gundam and watching it too, and I'm like, okay, so this is just a reference to this, 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 this. Uh, or uh, there's a popular anime right now that a lot of people are into, including many of my friends, uh, Demon Slayer, and that literally references so many things that happened during the Taisho era of Japan, and you know, before like a little bit prior to World War One. Um, and so it is it is just always cool uh, to see how authors infl- like introduce these things um per the percy jackson series greek mythology is still also part of greek history so you know to see all of that reference is always very cool i'm very excited for the uh the live adaptation that's going to be happening soon because i've seen the casting and uh i'm uh, i'm always on board with child actors playing children uh i i have uh, i've one of the things that I really didn't enjoy with the Percy Jackson live adaptations before were that you had these teenagers who were supposed to be, you know, like 14 through 16, and they were being played by, like, 20-year-old actors. Um, so to see them being casted for, like, teenagers as teenagers, very cool for me. Yeah, as a media studies student in my undergrad, I think that, I don't know, that it's always bothered me when, like, people are, like, I, I don't know, playing one character that really does not in my mind, match, but like the actor and the character don't really match in my opinion, not saying that they're not good, you know, in that position, but it's like, eh, it's like, I don't really think that, you know, this like 25 year old playing this like 14 year old, I I don't know about it. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing. I'm sure that there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff with like, you know, like child labor laws and, you know, how easy it is to work with children versus how easy it is to work with young adults. But also, it's just such a disconnect when I see, like, a 30-year-old man playing an 18-year-old. <laughs> you know, it's weird. Yeah, it, it really it really is. And so, that's just it's so interesting. And I'm, I'm glad I have you know, uh, a backup to that. <laughs> of course, of course. I'm always an advocate of uh, don't cast adults to play children because it's, you know, as an adult now, it's really weird to see because I'm like, that's a grown man. That man pays taxes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is so great. And I kind of actually want to circle a little bit back to something that you mentioned in passing earlier when when you went back to one of your former teachers and, you know, and told them that you were working to be a teacher and that they said, I believe you said, like, that you'll be able to connect with, like, the slackers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so... And so is that how you, you know, how you were back then in high school? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, even 
even to this day, honestly, I uh, my work my work uh, regimen is a lot better than what it used to be, but I still do end up procrastinating a lot of the time. Like, you know, I'll wait until the last week to like write a paper that I've had maybe a couple months to write, which is not good. Don't recommend it. It really affects your sleep schedule. Uh, anyone who's watching this who is going into college, please have better work, ethic, you know, working, uh, you know, statuses than we do. Um, but definitely uh, in, in high school, um, even in that senior year, I was able to manage to graduate with honors. Um, but it wasn't easy because I really set myself back um, in the sophomore and junior years of high school where I really started to just not do work, you know. Um, and uh, my mom talks about this, and I don't really remember this too well, but um, there were times where, you know, your parents, they, if they have parent portal, they can see when you're submitting your homework. Um, you know, she would see the zeros, and then she would be like, she would come home, and she'd, and she'd be like, did you do your homework? And of course, I'd say yes, you know, whatever. Um, but then she'd ask to see it. And lo and behold, apparently, most of the times I would have actually completed the homework already. I just never submitted it. I don't know why I did that, but apparently that was something I did. Uh, my friends have said, yeah, you've you've had the homework and you just didn't turn it in. I don't know why I did that, um, but <laughs> it was something that I did. Um, and in, in a way, it's almost like I'm like reverse slacking. Uh, but there were definitely periods of time where I just wasn't doing any work. Um, the teacher, Miss Gross, who I mentioned, uh, she she really uh, hammered into me that I needed to do my work um, for a good reason. Um, she wanted me to graduate. She wanted me to pass. And she was looking out for me in the best way she could. Um, but I think in her mind, she can never forget when I didn't do my summer assignment and I didn't submit it for the first two weeks of class. Um, or, you know, when I would just like fall asleep in class because my sleep schedule was horrible. It's still horrible. Um, but she was always, always supportive, always nice and very understanding. That's good to hear. And I was going to ask if your sleep schedule got better, but I guess you answered that question. <laughs> I'm a college student. It's not that great. Well, you know, hopefully by the time that, you know, that you officially become a teacher, that I mean, it will get a little better, hopefully, considering that, you know, you'll have to be up a little earlier. So when I was student teaching, um, my sleep schedule was actually very, like, very good. Um, during that period where I was teaching that uh, U.S. government class, and that's more so because I had to be awake at, like, 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so I would end up falling asleep at, like, 8 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock at night, and then I would wake up feeling completely refreshed. And then after that ended, I was like, oh, finally, I can wake up whenever I want now. So then I started to sleep later again, and it it, it ended up becoming all bad again. Um, my my partner, she, uh, she actually uh, helped fix my sleep schedule again during the summer, uh, where, you know, we would, uh, you know... Uh, when we would go to sleep, she would go to bed earlier and then I, I would go to bed too because I'm going to sleep as well. Um, and we would end up waking, you know, waking up, you know, at like six or seven and I would be completely refreshed. Like, oh, this is so good. But then I would realize, I realized like, oh no, I'm falling asleep at like 10 o'clock at night. I'm becoming an old person. <laughs> um, and that started to get me like worried. But then luckily, thank God, the semester started and they were like, read three books a week. And I'm like, all right, well, now I now my sleep schedule is going to mess itself again, <laughs> mess itself up again naturally, you know? I feel like it's like college almost makes it impossible for you to have a perfect, whether work-life balance, sleep schedule. Like, I feel like it all just throws it out of whack sometimes. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, it's working out now. But once I, you know, once I'm out of university, I definitely need to, like, get back to that, like, healthy, normal sleeping schedule. And uh, in, it'll probably be beneficial, not just for my mental health, but also for my physical health, you know? Yeah, that is quite true. Yeah, but overall, this has been so interesting to, you know, to hear everything that you're doing and to, you know, really get to know you better. Because, I mean, I know that we've definitely been keeping up, you know, over the mm -hmm. course of these past couple months. But it's really great to actually, like, you know, speak to you virtually space, you know, face to face. So, I mean, this has just been such a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, it's really hard to convey emotions through text a lot of the time. So whenever we texted each other, even though we were like seemingly excited, we put the exclamation part, you know, points in the, in the smiley faces. It uh, definitely didn't have the same feeling as like when you see somebody and you're like, Hey, my man, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that that's the thing too. It's like, I love that. I'm able to use this podcast to connect with people, reconnect with people, and, you know, really get to know them better. Because, I mean, I mean, if you have a platform, might as well use it, right? Yeah. Like I said, I was uh, I was still like, oh, my God, he's asking me to go on his podcast. And even now, I'm still like, oh, my God, I'm going to be on YouTube. <laughs> it's just funny to me. I know. And even for me, I 
like for anyone who has known me since elementary school, they will know that I would probably be the least suspecting person to even think about like doing this type of stuff. Like I, yeah, like I think up until even high school, people were still asking us like, do you speak? And you know, to go from, actually, I'm sure people think about that in college, about me for that in college as well. But yeah, to go from that to, being able to have these conversations and, you know, and speak with people. And now like you're like the hundred second person I've spoken to. Like, I mean, that yeah. it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And it's actually kind of like the opposite for me. Like I've, uh, I've always been like a very like clowny kind of guy, especially even in class, you know? Um, so, and I used to, every time, you know, when I was in like high school and like a little bit out of high school, I used to be like, oh, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to, be this like influencer person just i would say jokingly but i was also like half serious uh, you know there was a time in my life where i wanted to be like uh, where i wanted to do some, a little bit of acting maybe um but now that i'm like it, you know in my mid to late 20s i'm uh, i'm more like i just want to have a little sedentary lifestyle you know, live in a little apartment with my girlfriend and i i enjoy not having the limelight on me but i do enjoy you know hanging out with my boys hanging out with you talking to you too um but it is, yeah, like, it's really funny. Like you said, like, you're you're more maybe uh, introverted uh, in person. So it's, uh, it's always a shock to see that you're the one who's, like, making content and talking to a lot of people. Whereas uh, I'm a lot more extroverted, I think, in, in person. Uh, but online, I tend to, like, keep low. I don't want anyone looking, you know, just because, like, I like to have my privacy sort of thing. And that, that is funny how that works out, yeah? I know. It's like... I know, it's like you start off one way, and then it's like you sort of evolve. You take in, like, you know, all these different factors from your life. And then, yeah, I mean, we're never really the same person from, you know, one day, one year to another. So, yeah, Yeah, we're always here to learn. Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree. Yeah, and so as we, you know, begin closing out, I did want to, you know, I guess allow time for you to go ahead and... um. So as we're closing out, I did want to allow a time for you to go ahead and um, yeah, end us out with a closing thought, whether it be a um, thought, inspirational quote, whatever the case may be, the floor is all yours. Uh, sure. Wow, that's a lot of pressure. Um, but I think uh, I've been doing a lot of like looking back at my life and I used to take a lot of things very seriously. Um, and I think it was cool for a time because it made me feel smart. Right. But I've uh, I've done like a lot of like retrospective looking and I realize while it was cool to like feel smart in the moment, uh, it also kind of would sometimes push away people who were like friends to me or, you know, close to me. Um, And it wouldn't just do that, but it would also just stress me out sometimes to like try to constantly keep up this facade, not this facade, but like this image of myself. Right. Uh, And then I, uh, I think I realized like it's uh it's much more fun when you just don't take things as seriously. So um, I guess if I'm if I'm going to give any advice, right, it would just to be like uh, you know maybe don't stress out too much about things that are in your life or about you know keeping up appearances. You know, it's been uh it's been much more relaxing for me to just enjoy what I enjoy unabashedly uh, without having to like argue with people for it. Um, and so I I definitely think it's a that's a cool thing to do. Uh, I didn't know what else to say, so that's what I'm going to say. Yeah, but I so agree with that, and I think that's just such a important point to make. I mean, yeah, sometimes we just we just have to be ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, just be yourself. Yeah. You summed it up a lot more in like three words. You know, be and be yourself. Oh, that's two words. Be yourself. <laughs> no worries. I I think even even for me, I feel like you can have this really impressive thought in your head, like you know, you can you finally have figured out time travel, and then someone just. I don't know. They say it a lot better than you. And it, it just, it just sticks. <laughs> I think, I think what it is, is you put that idea into their head and they're like, how can I summarize this? You know? No, but I definitely agree. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, yeah, before we go, is there anywhere that anyone can potentially follow you in life? Not that's quite all right as well. I always want to provide the opportunity before we leave. Yeah, it's funny. Before we uh, started recording, I actually apologized because I didn't have many websites to promote. I, I don't. Uh, but uh, I do have a number of social media um, that are all private. So if you wanted to follow me, you'd have to request. And then I, you know, I'd, I'd get to do my own snooping like, oh, do I want this person to follow me? Um, but if you want to follow me on Instagram, my Instagram handle is uh, hi, Billy Mays here. Um, 
uh, all one word. Uh, and then my uh, my Twitter handle, if you wanted to follow me there, is uh, Foolish Boib. And that's not boy as in B-O-Y, it's boib as in B-O-I-B. And uh, I don't know why I decided to do that, but I thought it was funny and still funny to me now. So That is good to know. Well, thank you so much, Glenn, for speaking with us. And yeah, I'm, I'm just really glad that you were able to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'd love to uh, maybe come on some other time if you ever decide to have like, you know, regulars come on. Uh, but it was really good to catch up with you. And we should hang out in person. I should teach you how to play D&D. Yes, please do. Please do. I, yeah, please do. <laughs> for sure. But yeah, but until next time, have a wonderful day, everyone. And let's make things happen. I'll see you later. Take care. And that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in to the Tansen Talk Show. A big thank you goes out to our sponsor, Descript, for sponsoring this episode. If you're interested in checking out transcription tools, be sure to find our affiliate link for Descript in the description of this episode. Also, if you'd like to check out any of our official merchandise, go ahead and find us at merch.tansenmedia.com. Of course, be sure to subscribe to the Tansen Talk Show on YouTube or anywhere you can find podcasts. Until next time, this has been Brandon, and I'll see y'all later. Take care.